Hello and welcome to Co-OpCast, a podcast about cooperative board games with your hosts, Peter Gusis and Michael Kelly. Hi, I'm Peter and I'm here with Mike. What's up? And welcome to episode five of Co-OpCast. Now it gets real. On this episode, we're going to be discussing Arkham Heart of the Card Game. Yeah, this is one of my recent favorites. Uh, it's the latest LCG from Fantasy Flight, another cooperative LCG, kind of like their Lord of the Rings game, and sort of shares some elements with that one, but definitely does its own thing. So Arkham Horror the Card Game is based in HP Lovecraft Universe. You are a group of investigators trying to solve a mystery. It could be a one-part mystery, but typically these are several-part mysteries that continue. So in the core box, there are three mysteries that kind of tie together into one big campaign. And Mike's going to get into a little bit of the specifics of the mechanics now. Yeah, so uh, you each have your own deck of cards. You can use pre-constructed decks that are suggested in the core set, which aren't very strong and use some weaker cards. Or uh, if you really get into the game, you can build your own deck with some uh, restrictions based on your character. Characters will have one of five classes or sometimes be uh, cross-class, and that'll limit what kind of cards you can get. Once you've built your deck, you set up the scenario deck with all the bad things, and you also lay out several location cards, which are really almost like a stand-in for a board, except uh, a lot more flexible, of course, since you'll have a new expansion with a new set of locations each time. And on your turn, you get to do three actions, um, including getting resources to pay for cards, playing a card from your hand, drawing a card from your deck, or moving around, investigating, or fighting. So you have a bunch of options on your turn with the actions and how you're going to use the cards in your hand. Whenever you try to do something, it's generally resolved through a test. The test will have a target difficulty, let's say five. You'll have your character's base stat, let's say three. And you can uh, additionally play cards from your hand at no cost, but discarding them to use their skill icons on the card to add to your test. People in the location with you can also help you by discarding their cards. And you then draw from a token bag, which mostly contains negative numbers and symbols that really mess you up depending on the scenario, but sometimes contain a few zeros or positive numbers. You modify your check by that and see if you equal or exceeded the challenge number. That's basically how every test in the entire game is resolved, through that uh, idea of your statistic with skill cards played and a random token draw compared to the target difficulty. So after each of the players have done their three actions, and that's uh, in whatever order they want to resolve them, then uh, if there are any enemies on the board that might move towards you, they might attack you, you get a little refresh phase at the end where each of you gets a resource and a card for free, and you get to untap anything you've tapped throughout the turn. And then at the beginning of each turn, that's where the bad stuff happens. You add these tokens to the agenda, and when it advances, more bad things happen. And usually that'll also signal the end of the scenario if you let that advance for too long, basically take too many turns to win. And then additionally, you each draw an encounter card individually, which will either spawn enemies you have to fight, or make horrible things happen to you to crush your sanity or steal your life, that kind of thing. So it's a little bit of a race, right? You've got the enemy collecting doom tokens, usually, again, one around, but sometimes it'll spawn cultists, which will get doom tokens on them, which will add to that doom total. And you're racing against that total by trying to complete your objective, which is usually they're collecting clue tokens or, or completing one of these tasks. 
All right, so uh, this is a game, if you if you listen to our last uh, little 10-minute mini-episode, this is a game that's uh, pretty close to my heart recently, and I've certainly put a lot of money into it. So uh, let's get into the pros and cons. All right, so my uh, first pro, for those who have not heard our podcast before, the format is that we uh, go from smallest kind of thing we kind of like to biggest, most impressive pro, and uh, same way with con. So my first pro, a pretty good thing about the game, is the character variety. So just in the base game, you have five characters with uh, very different cards available to them through the class system, very different special abilities. Each character gets a uh, a card that only they can have in their deck that's a special positive card, and also a special weakness that is just for them that also goes in their deck, both of which usually uh, follow along with kind of the storyline of the character that you can read on the back of their card. So uh, the characters are very different. You add in the first uh, deluxe expansion, Dunwich Legacy, you get five more characters. I think in the next one coming up, Path to Carcosa, I think they have six new characters. So you get a ton of characters um, as you start getting expansions, and they play very differently. They force you to have very different strategies. One character you might be just destroying monsters left and right but have a harder time investigating another character might be very much someone who runs away one character might have a ton of luck mitigation you you really get a very different gameplay experience i played the exact same scenario like 10 times with different characters and it's felt like a new experience each time yeah you sum that up perfectly my number three pro is actually the arcing story i like not only how within one mission there could be five different endings but Just taking it and going from mission to mission, I like how they combine those. I like campaign-style play, and this has a really good campaign where you do have some consequences that carry over, either positive or negative, from your first mission that go on to the second mission. And I like that building story and how it may shift from time to time when you play the game. Yeah, my uh, my second pro is very similar to that. I do like how the campaign goes, but I'm going to focus specifically on the fact that it is always a full story which is something I have not usually seen in uh, campaign-style games. And what I mean by that is, as Peter alluded to, if you do really terribly in a certain scenario, you don't have to play that scenario again. It's not like you lost. You just have consequences from that scenario that make sense, like story and theme-wise, that continue into the next scenario. So if you get totally crushed in one scenario, you have a tougher time in the next scenario generally. Now, this might be seen as kind of a snowballing effect and a negative thing, but for me, it's really a positive because it makes me feel more alive in the theme and kind of in this really harsh, desperate world of H.P. Lovecraft stories. Yeah, I like that as well, how you do get consequences that carry over and that you do complete the story even if you don't do well. And let's be honest, the game is hard. So a lot of times you're not going to do well your first time through it. And so as you get better at the game, you're going to see a different story, a better outcome as you continue to play through. Exactly. And just to compare it briefly to a game we've been playing the heck out of that also has a campaign system, Gloomhaven, the game's amazing, but when you fail a scenario in that, you literally just have to play the scenario again, set it up from the beginning. And that's such an anticlimactic, kind of like disappointing way to handle this, whereas Arkham lets you continue the story and you will reach that final scenario and have an ending no matter how badly you do. And I really appreciate that. Well, and with some of these games, too, it doesn't make sense thematically. Like, why am I going back through the dungeon? I just died. How do I reset and start over again? So with this game, you face the consequences of your your negative actions. So, Peter, uh, what's your second pro? 
My second pro is exactly the same as your number three, and that's why I didn't comment too much on it. It was word-for-word variety in characters. I'm going to approach it from a little different angle, though. I do like how the characters are so different, but I also like how each character typically has a couple of classes they're associated with. Now, some of the newer ones are only associated with one class, but then they can draw from a pool of all the other classes as well and bring just a couple cards in from those classes. But I like how when you build a character... So just because you are a guardian class doesn't mean you have to build yourself to be this ultimate fighter. Certainly the cards lend themselves that way, but you can certainly do things where you're collecting a lot of clues. Maybe you take a flashlight, which is available to anybody, which helps you investigate better. So just because you have a certain class doesn't mean you're pigeonholed into that class. Certainly there is better and worse builds within that class, but I do like the exploration you have in there. And it does change a lot based on whether you're playing multiplayer or solo. I played the game quite a bit solo. With solo, you kind of have to cover your bases and always have some way to investigate. But in multiplayer, you can really be a tank if you want to be, or you can be a backup investigator too. You have a lot of options in your builds. Cool. So, Mike, what's your number one? Well, uh, we've sort of shared our first two in a way. My number one is the mission and scenario variety. I won't go into any spoilers. Um, but we have played, well, I've played, uh, the entire Dunwich Legacy cycle, which is eight scenarios, uh, the three scenarios in the core game and the two print on demand missions, uh, the werewolf mission and the Venice mission. Um, and Peter has played everything except he hasn't quite finished the, uh, Dunwich Legacy, uh, campaign yet. And yeah, between those, I can't say that any of them are really identical. I guess a few of them are kind of similar in that some are more combat heavy and some are more uh, investigation heavy. But you're doing like really crazy stuff in some of them. And like the way locations work can be totally different. The way clues work can be totally different. Some have a ton of uh, options to explore. Some have very limited. They tend to have a lot of variety within them in that uh, you like might have different versions of the same location. They play out differently because the encounter cards you draw are very different within this large deck. You pretty much never see all the encounter cards. So yeah, I, I've played the game, I, I'm almost embarrassed to say, I think a total of 48 times since I've owned it, a lot of that solo. And that's, you know, often the same scenarios over and over again, but I feel like I never get bored and new stuff is happening every time. Yeah, no, I do think there is a good variety in the missions as well. And I like how, like you said, it's not always just racing to how many clue tokens you get. So my number one, though, is the hand management aspect of this game. I'm more of a mechanics guy a lot of times, and for me, the mechanics in this game are amazing. I love hand management. So like Mike was saying earlier, you have three actions on your turn. One of them could be to draw a card. One could be to get a resource, but those aren't very efficient actions. Maybe some locations, though, will be use an action here to draw a card and gain a resource. So you're really trying to maximize the cards in your hand, the resources you have. Some of your cards will help you gain resources. Some of your cards you'll use just for their skill icons. But I like the choice. So I may use this card as pay four resources to get a gun in this one mission. Or the next mission, I might need it for those two fight icons it has on it. And so making that choice every mission is really interesting to me. And it really depends on the order that your cards come out. So you may get a weaker weapon earlier, decide to play it. But then when you get that better weapon, do you play it now for the skill icons? Or do you use it and replace the weapon that you were using for the rest of the game? Yeah, the same goes for allies. You know, you can only have one ally each game. 
which one do I put out? Do I play this one now or do I wait to hope to get one of my stronger ones? And so I really like how you have to make those decisions on every turn, what to do with those limited actions and with that limited resource pool that you have of cards and resources. Yeah, I love that too. It was one of my honorable mentions, but I guess you're right. I'm focusing more on the theme in uh, my pros. All right, great. With the pros out of the way, let's get into a few cons we have for the game. I I will say before I get into my first one that I adore this game and I'm playing the heck out of it. So these are all fairly minor and don't really heavily affect my experience with the game. So my first con is how you level up and how much change it makes from game to game. Just to explain, based on your performance in a scenario and what kind of things you accomplish, you and every other player will get a certain number of experience points. And you can use those to buy more powerful cards within your class or classes that you're allowed to buy from. Sometimes they're straight-up upgrades of cards you already have. Sometimes they're permanent cards that you don't have to draw into and that just sit in front of your deck giving you powers. And uh, sometimes they're all new cards. So I like that as a system. Uh, Just the small gripe I have is that since you're often buying one, maybe two cards after a scenario, and you have a deck of 30 cards plus uh, weaknesses and other special cards, it is very likely and has often happened to me that I'll buy a card and not see it at all in the next scenario or even in the next two scenarios. So... You know, whereas a lot of these other kind of dungeon crawl and campaign-based games will give you a really tangible benefit that you'll get to use right away, sometimes when you level up, you don't actually get to take advantage of what you've used or what you've leveled into. And some of the upgrades, I couldn't even tell they were upgrades right away. They're minor tweaks, and yes, they make may make a big gameplay difference, but it doesn't feel like it at first glance. I feel like you're not getting this really cool thing when you level up. And I I guess it makes sense because you're playing cross nine missions. We can't go from like nothing to superstar. But I do think they could have made them a little bit more powerful, the upgrades, because you are only seeing them one out of every 30 cards, as we were saying earlier. So I do think there could have been a difference when you do get that card, you feel super cool when it does come up. And I don't feel that way when my upgraded cards come up. Sometimes I don't even notice they're the upgraded version. Now, I will say, when you get into, like, the most expensive ones, the four and five experience, you feel that when you draw that. If you get, like, the lightning gun that does a ton of damage and gives you, like, plus five attack, you'll notice that. But, yeah, definitely, like, the level one and two and even three experience cards sometimes aren't that thrilling. Right. So my number three con is setup. And I don't mean setup as in it takes a long time to set up. I just mean when you're putting the cards down, yes, it does feel like different locations, but there's no way to join them. They just have little symbols on the cards that have like a triangle and it matches to this triangle location. And you got to figure out which locations attach to each other. Now, I will say this isn't a problem in every mission, but in some of the missions, when you got like seven or eight locations and they're really cross-connected in weird ways, and sometimes you can only go one way, and sometimes two things that appear to be connected, you can't get to one right away because the door is locked or something. For me, I love the fact that they're replacing the board with cards. I think it's a really neat idea, but I don't know that the implementation is the best, and there's no way to show it. What we do is we use toothpicks to connect the different locations, and I think that definitely helps. But I do think there should have been a better way and maybe a way included in the box to show one location going to another. And while it's cool how a town can be branching and spider webbing each way, I almost would have preferred something more simplistic that didn't take so long to figure out which places are connected. 
Yeah, and I agree with that. It doesn't bother me as much as you, but why not, with all the other stuff you're already paying for in the game, why not include a token sheet with some little arrows to show how locations connect? Wouldn't have been that big of a deal. Now, I will say, in some of the crazier scenarios, it wouldn't be possible, not to give any more spoilers than that. But in general, yeah, I agree with you there, Peter. So, Mike, what's your number two? So, my number two is a general sometimes problem with the balance between cards and the balance between the four main skills characters use. So for the cards, this is a problem I would say in any LCG, any CCG, any game with a really large card pool. But there are some cards that are really good, so good that anytime you have access to them in your class, you'd really have to be a moron or just be choosing to make your life harder to not take them. A big example for me is the Pathfinder skill, which is in the Seeker class. This basically, once you play it, under most circumstances, gives you a free move every turn for only three resources, which, when you only have three actions a turn, having an extra action is pretty ridiculous for such a small cost. So that's a small concern. I don't love that I feel like I sort of have to take cards unless I'm handicapping myself. And then similarly, there are four skills. There's Willpower, which is used for magic and to defend yourself against encounter cards mostly. There's Fighting, there's uh, Investigating, and there's uh, Evading. And I do feel like the Evasion one is sort of weaker than the others when I try to compare characters across from each other, and that Investigating is stronger than the others. Because basically every scenario, except for a couple, requires a lot of investigating. And you just tear through the scenarios more quickly and face fewer monsters and challenges overall if you have a lot of investigating. Whereas evasion just uh, temporarily delays a monster. And I'd rather usually just fight them and defeat them completely. So it doesn't entirely feel like the skills are equal. Which means when characters are more focused on one skill than another, it can slightly lead to them feeling better or worse. So not a major thing, and with it being a co-op where you can kind of modify your own difficulty level, it's not a big deal, but a slight bother to me. And that's hilarious, and I know I haven't played the game as much as you, but almost every character I make, I love the evasion skills. So I actually build toward evasion, because there are things where once you evade, you can move to any location. So it's not just to move one space, it's to move anywhere. Or you can attack something that has been evaded earlier that turn. So you can evade and then attack it without fear of it attacking you back. So I do like the evasion class. I didn't realize I was handicapping myself, but I do love the fact that you have at least the different options on the positive side, but you're right. It is tough if you're taking a class and you don't realize that it is that you're handicapping yourself. Although now you mention it, I sort of have to moderate what I was just saying, because you're right. Evading a monster is incredibly useful. And actually, sometimes, especially when you're working with a group, evading a monster is the first step to defeating them because you, while they're uh, tapped from an evasion, all their special powers are generally canceled. So, eh, take what I say with a grain of salt because <laughs> you've sort of convinced me the other way, Peter. That's what I do. All right. So what's your uh, second con? My second con is that there's not much mitigation after you draw your token out of the bag. So you have a lot of choices beforehand. Do I want to use this card to give me plus strength? Do I want to use this card to give me more evasion? Whatever the test you're going to do. But you can put all these resources in. Like I said, to me, this is a resource management game. I've saved four cards in my hand. I'm throwing them all down on this one challenge because I really want to beat it. And I pull up the automatic fail token. I lose all those cards. And there's no way for me to unmake that decision at that point. And I know some people love that, and that's some people's bag. But for me, it's just frustrating 
when I've done everything for this one moment and it just fails so utterly that I feel like I'm now handicapped for the rest of the mission. I'm I'm totally there with you on that. Um, that was kind of in my honorable mentions. I've had some scenarios where I just got a few terrible draws in a row and after I'd committed a lot of resources, like you say, and it's really demoralizing. Um, <laughs> now, to be fair, you know, I keep on playing and I've sometimes won those scenarios anyway, which is kind of cool. It makes me feel extra special, I guess. And it, it, of course, fits into the HP Lovecraft mythos where you're supposed to be desperately fighting and being driven insane and dying. But at the same time, yeah, it's, it's not always fun to just have yourself kicked while you're down. I think a variant um, that would work totally well for casual players would be to draw the token and then add skill cards and, like, spend tokens and that kind of thing. I could totally see playing that way if you wanted to have a more, like, easy, kind of fun story-based game. Either that or how about I get half my cards back? So if I've played two cards, I get one back at least. If I play three, maybe I still only get one back, but at least I get something back. And now I've got another choice on my hands. Yeah, I failed, but I haven't also lost all my cards. And I think they would not make you feel as crushed and demoralized. Again, I know it's not going to be a con for everybody, but it certainly is for me. Now, there is a card that came out in the most recent expansion that does exactly that. But it's only available to survivors, which is the class that already has all the luck mitigation. So it kind of keeps their class in the same, uh, you know theme they've already established, but it doesn't make anybody else have any option to mitigate their luck. So, Mike, what's your number one con? So, I'm the one buying this game. Uh, (laughs) Peter just plays my copy. And so, a small mini rant on uh, the LCG format. I love the LCG format in some ways, especially for competitive CCGs. Like, the idea that, you know, Legend of the Five Rings is coming out later that unlike when I used to play the original version of Legend of the Five Rings, I will know exactly what cards I'm getting. I will not have to buy multiple packs hoping to get something. I won't have to blow hundreds and hundreds of dollars to, you know, find those things. That's wonderful. But it's a little bit of a harder sell here with a cooperative game. Because I look at this, I've spent, uh, even with a discount, I've spent uh, over $100 to get all of the stuff for the Dunwich Legacy, you know, this eight-scenario cycle. And that, that's a fair amount of stuff. It's, uh, you know, over, I think, 600 cards. So it's not like I'm not getting a lot. But, you know, for $100, I can get Gloomhaven. For $50, I can get a uh, full campaign uh, expansion for Imperial Assault with a ton of miniatures, a ton of tiles, a bunch of cards, and, you know, even more than eight scenarios. So... The LCG model allows you to kind of... It it seems like Fantasy Flight is sort of nickel and diming me a little bit because they know that it's not going to seem like a lot of money when I buy it each month. But when I look at the entire thing, I'm like, man, I have dropped a lot of money on this one game. So if I didn't love it so much and if I didn't sort of enjoy the once-per-month excitement of getting a new scenario, I, I, I feel a little frustrated at the amount of my gaming budget that is being spent for not nearly as much bang for your buck as uh, some other games I might buy. Well, and just to put it in perspective, the base game is $40 retail. So if you want two core sets, which a lot of people buy who get into this game, it's $80, which is the price of something like Mansions of Madness right off the bang. Then the large box expansions is another $30 plus $15 a month. So I should say it's uh, one deluxe expansion and six mini expansions. Just to put it in perspective a little, and my number one was right along that. It was cost, but really more limited replayability. 
So forgetting those things, even though we said there are different story endings, it is an arcing story, the bottom line is, when I'm done scenario one, I move on to scenario two. It's still linear, even though you might have a reward for the next mission. You might have a new companion you wouldn't have otherwise. Or you may have less monsters to face in the next scenario. Either way, you're still moving on to scenario two, which doesn't change that much. So when you're buying a core set for $40, you only have three missions in there. Yeah, and I will say again, it's it's not a like breaking con for me because I've played close to 50 times. I'm definitely going to get probably up to at least 50 or 60 plays before I get to the next cycle. So if you break that down, I'm still spending like, you know, three or four dollars per play, which isn't that terrible. All right, let's get into our final thoughts. So in terms of my final thoughts on the game, in general, I think this is one of the biggest home runs, both uh, in terms of solo play and cooperative play for me uh, from this past year. I adore this game. I've played the heck out of it. I'm planning to at least get the next cycle, then we'll see if uh, the, the cost is getting to be a bit too much to me, but I'm, I'm all in for a little while longer at least, and uh, I'm probably going to start up a whole nother game of the entire Dunwich Legacy cycle uh, in the next couple of days. I just really like playing it over and over again. Peter, how about you? What are your final thoughts on the game? I really think Fantasy Flight hit a home run with this one. The fact that it appeals to you because of the theme and me because of the mechanics, I think says something. It's hitting both ends of the spectrum. Now, I know this game isn't for everybody. I wish they had made it a little easier to get into, both cost-wise and rules-wise. I wish you didn't have to build your own deck just as you're first learning the game and getting into it. I wish that was done for you better. There are a couple pre-generated characters, but I wish there were more options as you were learning the game. So let's get into our design debate. This week, we're going to argue tokens versus dice, which is a better randomizer. Mike, you're taking tokens. Why don't you get started? Sure. So clearly, the the impetus for my side of this debate is Arkham Horror and how they resolve tests. And Arkham Horror is the perfect example of why tokens have a lot of good advantages. Um, you have, per scenario, a variety of tokens you put in. You can change the difficulty by adding some tokens in or taking some tokens out. How you do in the scenario gives you new tokens to add. So if you do worse, you might add a bad token into the bag. If you do better, you might take a token out, things like that. So tokens give you a way to modify the randomness and kind of the the range of uh, results you're going to have in a very nuanced, very granular way, that dice, without having tons of custom dice or without having huge dice pools, just cannot do. Yeah, and that was my counter-argument, is you can do a lot of things you can with tokens with a bigger dice pool. So, yes, if you have 1d6 to resolve something, you're not going to have as much variance in the outcomes as you have if you're rolling a whole lot of dice. And the nicer part, And the nice part for me about dice is it does kind of puts you toward a middle result. So for example, if I roll one dice, my result can be, just say a six-sided dice, one to six, with equal parts for each. As I roll two dice, now it's varying more towards the middle, where seven is going to be the most common result. The more dice I add in, the more chance I have of kind of rounding out that bell curve, where you still get swinginess toward one way or another, but you at least get a little bit more consistent result. And I guess you could do that with a token bag by varying the numbers in the bag, but I do think you can get as much or as little swinginess as you want 
with dice games based on whether you're using D6s, D20s, D4s, whatever you want. And the more dice you add in, the more you're going to get that nice bell curve. Now, that's a good point. I don't really have a direct argument against the bell curve. You're right that you could get like the same token over and over again, whereas dice are going to tend towards a middle result. But I will say, on the other hand, if you're rolling two, three, four dice, dice of different values, like I'm thinking of Dungeons & Dragons, where you might have like multiple different sided dice that you have to read, um, that can get pretty complicated, can slow down gameplay, doing the math of adding like results together or checking them against a random results table. All of that slows the game down, whereas just pulling a single token you know, very clearly printed right on there, whatever the result is, that's way faster and simpler and less fiddly than large dice pools could be. Yeah, and I will agree with you on this one point. The more complicated the system, the more I want tokens. So if it's a really straightforward system, one dice roll, two dice rolls, you know, maybe 10 dice maximum, and usually you'll have like a two hit number. So if it's like you roll four or 10 six-sided dice, you're trying to get fours or better, and you can just pull out those fours or better. I like that way better than if I've got to look something up on a table or add the results together. So this is four and this one's six, that's 10. I don't like that as much as I like, what's my to hit number? All right, let me just roll a bunch of dice and see how many hits I get. Yeah, and I'll kind of concede to you back the other way. Um, you know, we, we played a lot of uh, Runebound 2nd Edition. We've also played Runebound 3rd Edition. 2nd Edition had dice-based combat, 3rd Edition had token-based combat, and at least in that game, for a few reasons, I vastly preferred the <laughs> the dice-based combat to the tokens. Because there, uh, kind of like what you were just saying, I felt like the tokens were actually adding extra complication, whereas the dice were just a simple, like, check your number against their number kind of a thing. So I think both systems can be negative if they're taken into, like, an overcomplicated, uh, confusing system, instead of striving for simplicity and straightforwardness. Exactly. So one thing I do like, and I've seen it in War of the Ring only as far as tokens go, but I see it in a lot of dice-based systems, is I like exploding dice. I really like that feeling because you can get a really neat positive benefit where you can go in facing overwhelming odds and still, if you hit enough exploding dice, you can still get the result you want. So I really like how, no matter how high you reach with some of these dice pools that have exploding dice, you can always get there even if it doesn't look probable at the beginning. And when you do, it feels amazing. Yeah, I'll give you that. I I don't know if that's unique to dice. It'd be easy enough to have like certain tokens that have you draw another token and keep on adding them together. But I haven't seen that in a token system. So I think you're right that clearly dice kind of serve that a little bit better. Well, and I think part of the reason is it takes longer to pull a token out of a bag. And if I got to keep pulling one token, one token, one token, it's going to take longer than if I just roll a bunch of dice and then grab another handful of dice, and then roll those again. So I think it would slow it down more in a token-based system than it does for dice pools, and maybe that's why. A question for you, Peter. Do you feel like you have more control over the randomness when you personally grab and select a token from a bag, or when you personally let the dice fall from your hand? Because for me, i got to say the token, I've actually selected it, whereas the dice... I've kind of given up control of them as they fall to the table. I know I'm getting kind of (laughs) a little overly uh, uh, specific here, but yeah, which one do you personally feel gives you more control of your fate? I don't think you have any more control either way, whether you're rolling dice or whether you're pulling a token from a bag. For me, I think they are equivalently lack of control once it leaves your hand. 
Although games will give you like re-rolls a lot of times too, which is something I've never, I don't really know how you do with a token. So I feel like I do have more control when there's luck mitigation with re-rolls and things like that, because I don't have to re-roll all the dice. Let's say I got three successes. Now I can re-roll the other four dice and maybe I'll get one or two more successes out of that. So I actually feel like there's a little bit more ways to mitigate luck with dice than there are with tokens. Yeah, actually, that's a good point. Um, you have like this granular control, especially when you have multiple dice. Like the idea of flipping a die to its opposite face. I guess Runebound has the tokens where uh, they have different faces on the uh, different sides of the tokens. But yeah, I'll give you that. Um, even if tokens have simplicity, dice allow you to kind of mess with them in more interesting ways. Yeah, and again, for me, I don't want either of them to be too complicated. I think the mistake a lot of games make is they make their combat systems too complicated. I know this isn't a co-op game, but Star Wars Rebellion got a lot of negative feedback because most of the game, 99% of the game is great, but then you hit this combat phase where it just slows to a halt. And I think that is probably the biggest mistake we as designers make, is making our combat too complicated where it takes people out of the immersion of the game. And so I like a quick resolution, whether it's drawing a token, whether it's rolling some dice, something quick, not overcomplicated and get me back to the game. Yeah, I'm with you there. hundred percent. So that's going to conclude our design debate for this episode. And thanks for joining us on another episode of co-op cast. Thanks for joining us on Co-op Cast. We'll be back in two weeks to discuss another great cooperative board game. Until then, please review us on iTunes and feel free to follow us on Twitter at MVP Board Games or email us at mvpboardgames at gmail.com. And then they went to Elder Sign, which was a simplified version of Arkham Horror, but yet... Elder Char. Dang it! We don't really need this. So Arkham the Horror the Car... Arkham the Horror? <laughs> Arkham the Horror the Car... Hey, we, we have good outtakes this time. <laughs> yes, I don't want so many outtakes. I want to not edit all of this. <laughs> all right. So Arkham the Horror the Card Game is set in the... You did it H- again, dude. Did I really? Yeah. Arkham the Horror the Card Game. What is wrong with me? So Arkham the Heart of the Card Game. And Dude, I, stop it. What is wrong with you? I can edit out the. I can edit out the word the. Fine. Fine. Go ahead. Arkham the Heart. Oh. Right off the bang. Have some good gaming, everybody. <laughs>